Well, if you would take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. The Gospel of Matthew proposes Jesus as the King of Kings. And throughout its pages, we're confronted with the fact that Jesus is our loving sovereign, worthy of worship and our service. I trust we will be blessed as we are once again in Matthew chapter 1 this evening. It's Christmas Eve. And for some, tonight is the night of gift-giving, or for others, they wait until tomorrow. But I wonder, have you ever gotten a gift you didn't realize or you didn't know you needed? This thing or gifted experience was not on your radar, so to speak, but once it was given to you, you realized that it was perfect for you. This thing or this gifted experience, these are those gifts that we remember, For me, I'll never forget when my parents got together and purchased a new-to-our-family Jeep Cherokee for my brothers and I to use. It wasn't wasn't ours, but my parents allowed us to use it. It was red, it was four-wheel drive, and it was just powerful enough to have fun without being too powerful so as to get us in trouble. It was perfect for three mobile teenage guys that didn't necessarily want to be seen in the family minivan. And I'll never forget how that gift not only was awesome on Christmas, but it also, that was a a gift that kept on giving because when the snow would fall, we would throw it into four-wheel drive and we would have some fun with that. Or we would trundle through off-road situations on the way to hunting land or some other adventure. And it was a gift that included many memories. In a weird way, it was a gift that even shaped my life, my brother's lives. To this day, we still have kind of a soft spot in our heart for Jeeps. And then also, uh, we learned how to work on cars on that, that Jeep as well. And so it was something that kind of shaped us. It was a gift worth remembering. Have you ever gotten a gift like that? I hope so. But as I was thinking about that, that gift, some of these other gifts in, in, our, in my history, uh, I was struck with another scenario where a person received a gift that he was not expecting, but it turned out to be exactly what he needed. In this situation, the gift came during a difficult time. It wasn't in the midst of great joy, but it was actually in the midst of great difficulty. But it was just perfect. This gift was just perfect for that need. In fact, it was something that we all need, though I suspect many of us don't realize how much we need it until it has become ours. Now, I'm being ambiguous on purpose, because when I say the name Joseph, you may roll your eyes, or you may be tempted to say, I know this story. I know what happens, but this Christmas Eve, can I say definitively, we have all been given the perfect gift. It may be a gift you are very aware of. It may be a gift that you've received Or it may be a gift that has not crossed your mind, but no matter your station in life, your background, your circumstances, the gift that was given on the first Christmas was and is the gift we all need. Who is the giver? The giver was God himself. And it was and it is the solution to every problem of this life. It was the gift of Emmanuel. God with us. 
But you may say, why did I need this gift? Well, I hope Joseph can serve as an example to all of us how Emmanuel changes everything. And you're in Matthew chapter 1. Let's begin in verses 18 through 20 and understand first that mankind's plight necessitates the gift of Christmas. Look at verse 18. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. Let's begin and understand that when we get good news, It's often accentuated when the bad news is understood. And for Joseph, there was much in the way of bad news. Let's understand his plight for just a second. Again, verse 18, we have a situation that Joseph is dealing with. It was social, it was spiritual, it was even familial uncertainty. What was taking place? Well, his espoused wife was found to be pregnant before they were married. And imagine his thoughts. Imagine his, maybe his betrayal, maybe his embarrassment, the shock, perhaps sorrow, perhaps confusion, perhaps frustration. For a moment, put yourself in Joseph's shoes. Perhaps he even said it wasn't supposed to be like this. Maybe he even felt pity for Mary and and wondered, how can I help this young lady who I'd love? He was in a situation, a pickle, if you will. Social, spiritual, and familial uncertainty. Have you ever been in a situation like that? On top of that, this was not something that he could just let slide. He had to deal with it. In fact, that's what you get to verse 19. Verse 19 says, Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. He had to decide what to do. He couldn't not deal with it. He, it really wasn't an option to neglect it. He was going to have to address the situation. And he had two options. He could publicly denounce her as an embarrassment to her. That was one option. And the the Old Testament law was such that if she was found guilty, there was even the death penalty that was possible. That was one of his options. But we notice that that's not what he does. He was a just man and not willing to make her a public example. So instead, he was minded to put her away privily. Again, he was going to quietly put her aside, or in this case, it was a, an annulment of that betrothal. That was Joseph's plight, but on top of all that personal struggle, I want us to think about Joseph's context. Joseph's context was anything but rosy. See, he lived during the silent years, the dark years between the Old and the New Testament. Go up to verse 17 of Matthew chapter 1. Again, Matthew chapter 1 is giving us the genealogy of Christ. And when we get to verse 17, 
Matthew records for us. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. And from David until the carrying away into Babylon are 14 generations. And from the carrying away into Babylon unto Christ are 14 generations. Consider the generations that were mentioned in verse 17. The first 14 generations had people like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. They had people like Joseph. They had people like Samuel. They had people like Moses and Joshua. Consider the second 14 generations. Those are from David until the carrying away into Babylon. Oh, there was much sorrow during that time because the kings were making foolish choices. But consider there was still David, there was Solomon, there was Elijah, there was Elisha. There was still, I mean, there was Isaiah, there was Jeremiah, the prophets. And now you come to the third 14 section of generations, and that was the carrying away into Babylon until Christ. And that was a very dark time. It was four centuries of sorrow and silence. No new information, no new guidance from God. The people of God yearned for some sort of communication from God. He had seemingly forgotten them. Religiously, politically, socially, God seems so far away. Tonight, perhaps you feel like God is silent. Maybe God seems so far away from you. Perhaps you're going through darkness. Perhaps even this time of the year, Christmas, it's not as joyful as you would like. In fact, maybe Christmas is a hard time for you. Maybe they conjure up, the, this time of year conjures up memories and, and hurts of the past. And it was in these dark situations that we find Joseph. And I would add Mary as well. So Joseph's plight was very dark. But we will find that Joseph did experience a message from God. And that's where we pick up in verse 20. So we saw, her, we saw his plight. And now look at verse 20. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not. For that to be in there, for that phrase, fear not, must have meant that he was fearful. Fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. This was, we saw Joseph's plight. Now we see Joseph's consolation. And what do we see? We see God at work. This message from the angel made all the difference for Joseph. But think about this. Joseph's situation, his circumstances, had not changed at all. After this interaction, nothing was different except for this one fact that God was at work. What changed was, was that God was working in his situation. He need not fear. He need not make drastic choices. Instead, he needed to take comfort that God was at work. In the darkest of situations, God declares that he was at work. This promise of God's work was no doubt a great comfort for him. 
I'm sure he may not have understood all the details and processes of the incarnation and virgin birth. But I wonder, do we either? But in that moment, he just needed to know God was at work. God was doing something. And likewise, God has been and is at work in your life as well. How do I know that? For you to sit here tonight and hear the word of God, it's an indication that he is working in your life. Isaiah said that that those who wandered in darkness have seen a great light. Is that you tonight? God offers to Joseph a glimmer of hope. Again, I'll point out, it doesn't change his circumstances. But at least he sees that God knows what's going on and he is actively at work. What a consolation to know that God is never off duty. For Joseph, for the world at this time, the message that God was working brought hope. It was a consolation. So we saw Joseph's plight. We saw Joseph's, now we saw Joseph's consolation. But how was God to work in the situation? We need to see, secondly, now that God offers the ultimate gift to meet mankind's greatest needs. And we pick that up in verse 21. Verse 21 says, And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. We'll stop there. If all he had was verse 20, I think that probably would have been at least given an inkling, okay, Lord, I can try to keep going. But verse 20 is an, a, a greater, uh, he, he, God explains further what he is doing. And in that, he is giver, giving to mankind. He's going to meet mankind's greatest need. Think about this. People think that they need money. They need peace. They need relationships. They need stuff. They need experiences. They need political victories. They need social reformation. But God offers none of that to Joseph. But what does he offer to Joseph and to mankind, to you this evening? God offers Jesus. Again, she shall bring forth a son. Mary will bring forth a son. And you will call his name Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sin. In that offer, God offers salvation from sin. See, above religious, political, social, and even familial harmony, Joseph needed salvation. Salvation from his sins, and that's exactly what every single human who has ever lived needed. The moment that sin entered into the world, Genesis chapter 3 makes it clear that God began the process of redemption. It's called the protoevangelium. It's the first time you see the gospel. And God gets busy when sin enters into the world, and he says, I will send someone. And that person will crush the serpent's head. Beloved, if you sit here tonight, you need salvation. Salvation from your sins. And in this verse, verse 21, God declares, I will send my son. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. That word Jesus, that name Jesus, 
is the name Jehovah is salvation. God himself would send that salvation. And so God offers the ultimate gift in Jesus. He's going to meet mankind's greatest need. Jesus will do that. He will save their people, his people from their sins. Beloved, we can build edifices to God. We can pour thousands of dollars into removing pain and suffering from our fellow man. We can invest sweat equity and labor to relieve the suffering of others. But if we neglect the greatest need of mankind, we have failed. In the fullness of time, as Pastor mentioned this morning, God sent his son. In the midst of darkness, God offers to Joseph, to the world, his son, Jesus. He is the greatest gift. Consider, to have your sins forgiven, to have your sins covered, to have them taken care of. Oh, to experience salvation from our sins. Have you ever been saved from your sins? Jesus is the only way. He makes it clear, Jesus shall save his people from their sin. So, in Joseph's darkest hours... What did he need? He needed Jesus. And this was God's plan all along. Lest you think God is just making it up on, as he's going, consider verse 22. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of by the Lord, or of the Lord by the prophet, saying, verse 23, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. It wasn't religion. It wasn't social reforms. It wasn't political power. It was spiritual transformation. It was the forgiveness of sin. And as Joseph hears Isaiah's prophecy recited to him, no doubt it was a joyful, joyous thing to see and to understand that after a nearly 700 year span, the promise was to be fulfilled, and it was to be fulfilled in this person named Jesus. See, this wasn't something that God was thinking about and kind of, uh, kind of making it up as he went. Again, I mentioned, as soon as sin entered into the world, God began the process of redeeming you and me from the slave market of sin. Pastor brought this up as well this morning where, you, where what, what, the idea of uh, redemption is to go into the slave market of sin and see people who are enslaved to sin to make a payment and to buy them back from that. And that's precisely what Jesus was going to do. This was God's plan all along. We can take comfort and we can take solace in that fact. So God offers the ultimate gift to meet mankind's greatest need in Jesus. Again, this was God's plan all along. And then this, was, this promise was accomplished by God being with us. You may say, how did God come up with the plan of redemption? That would be a wonderful question to ask him. And I don't understand the incarnation. 
I don't know what it means for Jesus to be 100% human and 100% God. I don't get that. But I do see it in Scripture. And so in that moment, you know what I get to do? I get to trust. I get to take him at his word. And this promise was accomplished by God being with us. The scripture makes it clear that the gospel is something that can be a stumbling block to the Jewish people. It's foolishness to the Greeks. But for those who have accepted Christ, it is the power of God. It makes perfect sense. And this promise was accomplished again through Emmanuel. For all of history, mankind has craved the presence of God on them. Consider this. Ancient Greeks, all the way through to modern religions, they have all had one thing in common. They all have distant gods that want nothing to do with humans, and the humans incessantly chase after the gods. And they want their, they, they, we want the attention of the deity. But Christianity is completely different. This gift would be God with us in person. Even Isaiah chapter 7, when he's referring to that uh, in verse 22 and verse 23, what happened with that, with Isaiah chapter, in Isaiah chapter 7 was Isaiah came to the king of Israel, Ahaz, and he, said, and, and he gave the message from God, I want you to ask for a sign. And Ahaz, in his false humility and in his pride, said, I would never deign to ask God for such a request. God got frustrated with Ahaz and said, well, I will give you a sign then. And that sign was that God, Emmanuel, would be coming, that God would be with, with his people. In that moment, Ahaz probably sat back and thought about God with us as far as God on our side. But really what God was saying is, no, no, I'm going to send Emmanuel. It will be, God will be with you. We'll walk with you. We'll talk with you. We'll live with you. It's not just on our side, but in essence, God incarnated as human, as a human being. In Jesus, again, we have a person who is 100% God and 100% man. If you ever want to be humbled, just start studying that. Because it doesn't make sense or it's hard to understand. And throughout history, we've, there's been lots of mistakes that have been made as they have tried to explain it. But really what it comes down to is that God, Emmanuel, God will be with us. So to wrap things up tonight, it is said that around 40% of gifts are returned after they've been given. Whether they are damaged, the wrong size, or not what is wanted, retailers struggle to figure out what to do with all the return gifts at Christmas time. Tonight, we've talked about a gift that's been given to you by God. Are you going to return it? Or are you going to receive it? What are you going to do with the greatest gift of Christmas? Jesus. What did Joseph do? 
Joseph received it. You see it in verses 24 and 25. We won't necessarily explain all of that, but I will read. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not until she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Joseph was obedient. Joseph trusted what God was doing. What about you? Perhaps this Christmas you look at our world and you see the wars, you see the political, social, spiritual unrest in our world. If that's you, you know what you need? You need Emmanuel. You need to understand that God is still with us, that God came to this earth. Perhaps this Christmas you look inward and you see hurts and painful memories, joy that perhaps was yours once, but now seems so far away. What do you need? You need to be reminded of Emmanuel. God is with you. And perhaps you look with joy at this Christmas, and you revel in all the wonderful things that this Christmas season has to offer. Well, I would say as well, you likewise need to make sure you stop Slow down and derive your joy from Emmanuel, God with us. We have this joy because God came to be with you and with me. So this Christmas and every Christmas, we need Emmanuel, every single one of us. And God offers the ultimate gift to meet mankind's greatest need. It's wrapped up in Jesus. Won't you surrender your heart to him? If you're here without Christ, either in person or online, receive the gift of salvation he has offered to you. If you have received Christ as your Savior, there is great reason to rejoice this Christmas. Why? Because God is with us for salvation, but God remains with us throughout every moment of every day. Won't you praise him for who he is and what he has done for you? Praise God for the greatest gift, Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus is his name. Would you bow together in prayer with me, please? Father, we thank you for this reality. Lord, Jesus wasn't just a a myth or a legend. Jesus was you, God, coming to this earth in real time. Oh, Lord, thank you so much for him. And, Lord, as we live this life, whether we are your children or whether we are not your children, every single one of us needs you. Oh, Lord, thank you so much for sending your son to come to this earth, to die for us, to make a payment we could never make, to bring about forgiveness of sins. Lord, if there's one here tonight that's unsaved, would you, again, draw them to yourself. Help them to see Jesus is their only answer. And then, Lord, for those of us who are your children, help us to to, to worship you and to, to, to glorify you. Lord, when we are fearful or when we are unsure what to do, perhaps when we go through great turmoil and great sorrow, help us to realize you have never left us. It truly is, Emmanuel, you have been and are with us. Help us to take comfort, help us to take solace in that. And we pray these things in Christ's name, amen.